Good morning, Church of Jesus Christ, gathered here at Pleasant Street. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We're so glad that you are here, either in person or online. So thank you for joining us. And if you are visiting with us this morning, thank you for making Pleasant Street your worshiping home. Are they making a scene behind me? <laughs> They're breaking things. So my name is Becky, and it's my joy and my privilege to welcome you here this morning. Jesus is also present with us this morning, and he's the one that has called us into this place this morning. I do have a couple of announcements. First off, we want to um, welcome Jeanette and Phyllis, who are here uh, representing Ahadi, which is a boys, or yeah, it's a boys' school, right? Yeah, in Africa. And uh, normally they have this time as a fundraiser during the time of the Boston Marathon. But they are here this morning. So if you'd like more information, and they would love to share that with you. Also, um, you may have seen on the slides that we are very much looking forward to opening up Kid Street. And however, we do need some more helpers and teachers for that. So if you feel a nudge from God to say, yeah, I need to get involved with something, contact Kate. She will be glad to give you information and explain it or sign you up. We also are looking forward to opening our coffee fellowship once again. That will start next week, but we are in need of some volunteers for setup for that, as well as greeters. So you can talk to Sadie in the office if you have a nudging from the Lord about getting involved with that. So we all have superpowers and we need to use them. God has gifted each one of us as the body of Christ and we need to use our gifts. So with that being said, why don't we quiet our hearts now and prepare for worship? Almighty God, as we prepare to worship today, we ask that you will stretch our imaginations to sense the majesty and the mystery of your ascension. Help us perceive how Jesus' presence in heaven can give us confidence in our praying and our hope for the future. Through Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord, amen. Today we are celebrating our Savior's ascension into heaven and his reign. So will you rise now in body or spirit as God calls us to worship him this morning. Jesus Christ has come into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength be to our God forevermore. Alleluia. Amen. Alleluia. Let's sing.
and who was, for you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your judgments have been revealed. And we say together, amen and amen. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, it is good to be with you this morning. Our good news that began at Christmas with the coming of Jesus today ends with an exclamation point. We call it Ascension Sunday, but often it's lost on us a little bit. Today, as Becky has so eloquently prayed for us, we remember that now have come the reign of Christ because our own flesh in Jesus' body has entered uh, the holy, holy, holy present of God. Uh, God is on the throne, and he is in charge. But that means that the exclamation point on the good news we began at Christmas ends with the strange good news that God, that Jesus, is not here. And of course, he is here by his spirit, which is where we began, but there's also a sense in which he isn't here. He is reigning in heaven. And that is strange for us, because we cannot see him. And you could say that today, as we come into the presence of God to confess our sins, the root of all our sin might not be doubt, but it could be, in fact, fear. Fear that in the world that we see around us, God is not, in fact, in charge and reigning. And so we come today in the presence of this God to proclaim together the good news that Jesus is in charge, that he has entered the throne room of heaven, where he is even now controlling all history. And that good news is what has the power to dispel our fears and to give us the eyes of faith to see that our God is even now at work in and among us. Friends, would you join me in this prayer of confession? As we celebrate the ascension of our Lord, we confess that our lives, pro, uh, we live, the way in which we live proclaims our lack of faith in his power to deal with the world. So we confess this incongruity between our faith and our practice. We do so in the presence of God in order to bring us into alignment. Let's pray together. Together we say, we come, O Lord, on this day of glory to confess our lack of trust. While we sing of your lordship over all creation, we have too often acted as though you are powerless in the face of today's events. Forgive us and raise us from sin that we may be your faithful people, obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to live with confidence in your presence today and in hope for a life with you forever. Let's take a moment to make those words our own. Lord Jesus, in the silence, as we offer our own prayers up to you, along with those that we have voiced together, we ask that you would hear them all by your Spirit, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, 
the good news, the exclamation point that meets us today is that God, that Jesus is not here. He has entered the throne room of heaven and he is reigning. And that means that when we come to confess our sins, we are approaching the throne of God himself. And when we do so, Hebrews reminds us that we will find mercy and we will receive grace when we do. And God has brought it here for you. It comes from 1 John chapter 2. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, in Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Let's rise together and let's sing. can say to you, the peace of Christ be with you. Let's share that peace with each other now.
Well, good morning. Each Sunday when I have the privilege to offer a prayer, it's encouraging and wonderful to see the congregation seats being filled, knowing that we're nearing the end of the virus. So we praise God for that. I have a few announcements, if you will allow me. I was just informed this morning that Henny Kuypers, uh, mother of failure, our elder here at church, uh, has a returner for bladder cancer. And um, they have decided, uh, because it is more advanced, to stay in Arizona rather than come and visit uh, later on this year. So keep Henny in your prayers. Uh, I talked to Jen Burgess, and she was discharged and came home Friday, and we all know that healing often happens better at home than in the hospital. Uh, she's doing fine. Um, she's getting therapy, and she's on the mend, and she thanks you for prayers. And um, she also thanks those of you that have volunteered to provide a meal for her uh, during her disability. So thank you for coming forward and filling in that need. Jonathan Steele, uh, our organist, uh, has been dealing with a melanoma, and that has been successfully treated through surgery. So we thank God for good news. Um, I was away on vacation and learned that Diana went in for some surgery, which is in your bulletin, and I understand from good sources that she's doing well. In fact, I think she's doing better than her husband uh, with four small children, but... <laughs> They're all doing well, and thank you for not only prayers and again for coming forward and providing needs in the form of meals for that family. Uh, an employee of Randy, um, Melissa Root, if I have her name correctly, is uh, still dealing with cancer. I believe she has three children, and the progress does not look that encouraging. So uh, continue to keep um, Melissa in your prayers as well. And on another note of good news, Sandy Viss's sister, Marsha, as you know, has been prayed for by you for a treatment of a tumor. Uh, I've just received information this morning that the tumor is benign, and she is doing well. And it didn't look good when the prognosis was first introduced to us a few weeks ago. Um, so we thank you for God's healing hand in those cases. Um, these messages aren't of a priority, but I also just received this morning that uh, coffee is available this morning. So another sign that we're turning the curve on the COVID virus. And we're so glad that uh, that is another opportunity where our doors are being opened. So coffee will be served outside, and we encourage you to uh, stop by, catch up on a few things, and enjoy that fellowship through the coffee service this morning. Are there any other announcements that I'm not aware of that should be brought before us in prayer? As you can tell, I am not Tony Brookhouse. Uh, I received a call about 6 o'clock last night that Tony had an important family event and asked me um, if I would fill in his place. I will try to the best of my ability with only 12 hours advance notice. Um, I usually when asked to do a prayer, need at least a week, because I have at least five or six revisions before I get to the final draft. Um, 
And my prayer is going to come in the form of a different format this morning, as you will know. So I received that call last night from Brother uh, Tony, who asked if I would step in in his shoes and offer you this morning prayer. I just came back from vacation, and I have to think about that because I didn't know retirees took vacation. I thought once you were retired, you were always on vacation. But it, my, my answer is I just take God at a different place when I'm somewhere other than being here. And I received a call from Audrey that um, Al was not doing good. So I told Paula, I said, maybe we ought to go home a little earlier. And so we left on Thursday, and uh, I made a phone call to Sadie, and she told me that Al had passed that morning. Al is a good friend of mine and a good friend of this congregation. So pardon me if I eulogize a little bit. Al was my, uh, in my elder district and uh, a friend of mine. And uh, when I go on vacation, we always take our devotionals with us. And it's amazing how the Spirit of God moves you no matter where you are. And the devotionals that we were having out of our Today publication come out of Revelation. Revelation 6 and 7. And those chapters reference the four horses, or horses if you speak Michigan. Um, and the four horses are first a white horse. And the white horse symbolizes restoration and renewal. And then it goes on and talks about the red horse. And the red horse symbolizes us to be on guard as peace is taken away from the earth. And the next one is the black horse. And what does that symbolize? The black horse symbolizes economic injustice. I think we can relate to that. And then you read on, and then you come to the fourth horse. It's called the pale horse. I will not tell you the rest of the story. I'd encourage you to read that in Revelation of what the pale horse represents. And all of these, as I read these devotions last week, kept on throwing a question in my mind. Are you ready? So we decided to come home last Thursday, and my plan was to visit Al on his birthday. But my plan was not God's plan. I made a call to Sadie to get an update on Al's situation, and she informed me that Al passed away earlier that morning. I anticipated the worst, but I was not ready to receive this news. You see, Al died on his 81st birthday. He made it. But you know what else Thursday was? Ascension Day. Ascension Day is 39 days after Easter. My last pastoral prayer was on Easter. And now it's on the Sunday after Ascension Day, last Thursday. God's plan was to bring Al home on the day Jesus concluded his public ministry to return to his Father in heaven. 
And the disciples were filled with grief about the idea of his going away. And we, as part of Al's family, are also with grief with his going away, even though we knew it was planned. But that is not the end of the story. One must read on in Revelation 7. Picture this scene. A great multitude of people wearing white and holding palm branches and singing before the throne of God with all the angels and elders and other living creatures in heaven. They all sing great praise to God and bow down to worship him. The sheer size of this choir is amazing. There are so many people in this multitude that no one could count them. It would be like trying to count the stars in the sky or the sands on the beach. And even more amazing than the size of the choir is the comp composition of the crowd that the Lord had gathered. It is amazing how God's gift of salvation creates a bond of unity that reaches to the ends of the earth and breaks down the walls and divisions that we set up in our societies and cultures around the world. This is a powerful picture of what God's salvation looks like in the lives of real people. It is more than a picture of unity God will create in the new heaven and earth. This is a call for the church today as well to be faithful in welcoming God's servants. From every nation, every tribe, every people, and language, God's amazing grace brings us together from every people and nation. And then I thought it was important to be uplifting by reading from Revelation, the very chapter that we were using as part of our devotions last week. In chapter 7, verse 17, if you'll allow me. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and whence have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore are they before the throne of God. And serve him day and night within his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Al not only lived near the church, the church lived in him. Uh, he had served as a janitor, a Sunday school teacher, a choir member, and a brother elder. And I was always pleased to visit with him and uh, Phil Knapper not too long ago. And Al never forgot my name. And I was always reminded, don't ever call me Alan. Because Alan, I know, is going to be a form of reprimand for my father. Just call me Al. So, Lord, if you're listening, just call him Al. He was a Christian man, devoted to his church, his school, his work, 
and his family. So we lift up him as uh, we pray for him and the family which are all here today, the Snyders and the Bakers. And may I close. Gracious God, you love the world so much that you sent your only son to save the world through him. We worship you and thank you for the promise of everlasting life through your mercy. And may God be the glory. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, good morning. For those of you who knew Al, uh, my condolences to you. For those of you who don't know, he was a member of our church who had passed away this week. Um, gathered in the presence of God, we, we have enough room for those things as well as the joys that greet us this morning. And in the presence of that God, would you pray with me? Father and Son and Holy Spirit, brightness of God's glory and the exact image of God's person, whom death could not conquer, nor the tomb in prison. Jesus, as you have shared our frailty in human flesh, help us to share in your immortality by your Spirit. Lord, let no shadow of the grave terrify us and no fear of darkness turn our hearts from you. Reveal yourself to us this day on Ascension Sunday and all our days as the first and the last, the living one, our immortal Savior and the Lord. And now as we listen to your word, O oh Lord, we ask that you would grant us so to meditate on this word and to follow its teaching that we may find in it, the light that shines more and more until the perfect day. 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Anyone who has taken a speech class can tell you that one of the first rules of public speaking is don't insult your audience. Generally speaking, it's not a good idea to insult the people with whom you are trying to make a connection. Well, unless, of course, you're a stand-up comedian. Somehow they can get away with it. Did you ever notice that? How do they do that? I don't know. But other than that, it's not a good idea except for comedians and, well, I guess maybe Paul. Because Paul greets us with an insult this morning. You foolish Galatians, who put a spell on you? This is a strong and strange word to open our Bibles to today. That word in Greek that Paul uses, it means foolish, right? But more specifically, it means unintelligent. It means dim-witted. We might say backwards. So one Bible translation puts it like this, and I love it. Oh, dear idiot Galatians. Generally speaking, it's not a good idea to insult the people with whom you are trying to connect, much less your church congregation. But Paul calls them dear dimwits. Paul was an excellent thinker. Right? He was trained by one of the rest, best rabbis in the ancient world, so we can assume that this is not a slip of the quill. So then, if he's not being comical, what's going on here? Well, Paul tells them, as we read on, that they've been taken advantage of, bewitched by someone who's trying to sell them something they don't need. Maybe you know something about that, right? Like a scammer convincing them to give away personal information. They've been scammed into believing something that is redundant, that's outdated, that's backwards. It's not the gospel. And as anyone who has ever been taken in by a scammer knows, the devil is always in the details. You see, Paul already told us the reason that he is writing this letter. It's because he is deeply, 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 desperately concerned that the Galatians have turned away from Jesus. They have abandoned the good news that he brought to them for something else. Well, if you have been around church for a while, you know that faith in Jesus is, is everything to us. That's all that there is, right? But then again, very few people I know who have ever walked away from Jesus have done so because one day they just logically decided, eh, I'm done with this. It's not enough. Usually, the way it happens is because we get bewitched. Right, when Paul says that the Galatians are being dim-witted, that they've been taken advantage of, he's not saying that logically someone came to them with a really good argument and they bought it. He's saying uh, that someone took advantage of something that was a cultural and important value to you, and it put a spell on you, right? When he calls them dim-witted, uh, Paul is actually tapping into an, an important cultural value at work in Asia Minor at that time. Here's what I mean. So this region of Galatia, this big geographical area that Paul's writing to, the people who historically lived there were called Phrygians. Right? And the Phrygians, like all other people, they had their own religions and they had their own culture. They had their own gods and their traditions and they were passed down from parents to children and children to children and, and parents to children and so on and so forth. Right? You can imagine that 
There's little ivory carved statues of local gods sitting there on their mantles and they're worn smooth by the touch of parents and their parents before them passed on through their history. Well, but then one day along came the Roman Empire. And Rome did what Rome always did, which was to conquer. <laughs> That's what they did. Now, if you are an empire, there are two ways that you can try to conquer people and be in charge over them. You can either do it with bullets or you can do it with school supplies. Basically, you can either try to dominate a people with force, but that is much harder because they will resist you. They will treat you like a virus and they will try to expel and repel you because you are not like them. Or you can try to convince them that instead they should be like you that they should worship your gods because they're better, that they should reveal, revere your history because it's older and better, that they should want your rulers because they're wiser and more noble and more powerful. So the Romans came and they brought their gods and they brought their money and they brought their laws and they brought their art to Galatia. And what did that do? Well, over time, in the words of an archaeologist who discovered a lot of what we know about this area, the Romans began to subtly suggest to the Phrygians that, quote, to be educated, to be progressive, to think, to learn, was to be Roman. To be Phrygian was to be rude, ignorant, unintelligent, slavish. It was to be missing out on something. It was to be lacking something. It's a process we call Hellenization, right? And that's a really big word. But in other words, the Galatians that Paul is writing to had spent their whole life growing up in a world where the message around them all the time was, don't be like your backwards Phrygian ancestors. Be a Roman. Don't be an unintelligent, foolish, backwards Galatian. The art they saw at the local theater, the pottery on display at the market, the coins they carried in their pockets, the people in charge of their governments, all of it was a constant reminder that there was something deeply wrong and incomplete with their identity. Why am I telling you this? That's a great question. What does this have to do with Galatians? That's an even better one. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. It's this. The churches that Paul is writing to here, they're mostly Gentiles. But this letter is all about being Jewish, about observing the Torah, the festivals, the Sabbaths, the dietary restrictions, circumcision. It's about having a Jewish identity and culture. So then why are churches full of Gentiles so hung up on being Jewish? Why is Paul so adamant that the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised? Well, because their whole life, Roman culture was trying to convince them that they were flawed, that they were backwards, that they were unintelligent people, that they were missing something. And Jews, by contrast, were highly respected. They had a very old, old culture and their, this rigorously moral life. And so why did the Christians fall for the scam that the Judaizers, Judaizers were selling? Because being Jewish was a way not to be an unintelligent Phrygian. Being Jewish offered a new identity that could promise to fill up what was lacking in their own lives. The Judaizers said, of course, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but if you get circumcised, you can also have Abraham as your ancestor. 
You can have Abraham's story as your own story. They began their life in, with God in Jesus, but they're saying that now you can, you can have more of that life. You can complete that life. You can fulfill that life by taking on all the traditions and customs of Israel. You can finally be somebody. And this is what bewitched them. It wasn't that someone came and said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You need a different Messiah. Jesus isn't enough. There's more that what the Galatians heard in this theological argument was a way to be rid of a backwards heritage. What they heard was a way to fill up what they couldn't find satisfaction for. It was a subtle promise that now, now through the law, they could finally matter, they could belong. But Paul says, dear idiot Galatians, you've abandoned the only belonging you had. Paul in verse 1 bluntly points out the irony. He calls them dimwits, right? And those probably sounded like synonyms, foolish Galatians. That's exactly what they were trying not to be. That's what they hoped being Jewish would do for them. Right? And the point of all of what I am telling you is that belonging to Jesus isn't just about knowing that God died for you. It's learning to live as if that is everything. You see, I bet if we left this room and if we went out into town and if we asked most people, how do you get to heaven? What would they say? Well, a lot of people would say, well, you believe in Jesus who died for your sins. Right. This place is still sufficiently religious enough that most people know the right answer. But the real question is, yeah, but what is it that's promising you more life in this world? Right? The way we answer that question tells us where our hope actually lies. Friends, what is it that bewitches us with this illusion of wholeness that we can find somewhere else? It's the feeling, that gnawing feeling that you are missing something. If you keep looking, you'll find it. One Saturday morning, the preacher Craig Barnes was running on a trail. and It wound through a neighborhood park. Uh, apparently, during his morning Saturday run, there was also a cross-country race happening at the same time. And so while he is leisurely enjoying his Saturday run, a group of college male runners from two different cross-country teams flies past him. Their bodies are sleek and strong. They wear uniforms. They looked like Olympians. Barnes had been enjoying his run, but now as they blew by him, he began to feel like a lumbering truck that wasn't going to make it up the hill. Well, no sooner had the sting of the indignity begun to fade than the women's team raced past him with all the grace and speed of gazelles. Well, when he finally got to the end of the trail, the real runners were long done. They didn't need water. No one was huffing and puffing. They were just leaning casually, talking comfortably with their coaches while Barnes was doubled over sucking wind and telling himself that there is no such thing as a good run. But just as he was about to sulk back to his car, he noticed another group of runners coming to the end of the trail. They had no fancy uniforms. Some were running, others were jumping, some were skipping. They were a team of 
runners who all had developmental challenges. A few were being pushed in wheelchairs. They had no interest in clipboards or stopwatches. They didn't even seem to notice that there was a race happening. They ran for the sheer delight of it. And the last to emerge at the finish line were two girls skipping, holding hands, smiling and waving at the crowd, cheering immensely for them. Barnes said, no one cheered more loudly than I, and when I got back to my car, I could not stop crying. Why was he moved to tears? Because that second team knew a lot more than Barnes did about the joy of running in a park on a fall, crisp morning. Because Barnes realized that in so many ways, he had fallen prey to the lie that he was going to live forever. That he should be whole. Being blown by on the trail by college men and then women brought it all to the surface. He resented his limits. And if it's strange for you to hear a pastor confess to those things, I can assure you it's true. It made him feel incomplete. But then seeing the joy of those other runners had offered him the same possibility that you could enter the joy of what is true for all of us, which is that none of us is whole. None of us is whole. And yet, why is it that all the mannequins in the shop windows at the mall, which one day will open again, why is it that all those faceless mannequins are white? Why are they all long and lean? Why do they all look like they're 27? And why are none of them in a wheelchair or poised over a walker? It's not because the factory can't make a mannequin with wrinkled skin. It's because when we shop, we are paying for the feeling of being undamaged. We are buying the feeling of being whole. That's just one example. All of us are bewitched by something or many things that promise us wholeness. Yeah, but Paul reminds us that there's wholeness only in one place in one person. Foolish Galatians, Paul says, and it is a chide, and probably a painful one for them at that. But Paul's not shaming them for their heritage like the rest of society is. He's actually trying to wake them up to their heritage. Paul peppers them with these questions that you heard. I want to know one thing. He says, did you receive the fulfilling, satisfying, indwelling of the Holy Spirit by eating kosher or by believing that Jesus died for you? If that's how you started, if that's what filled you with joy, are you now going to make yourself whole by eating the right food and getting circumcised? These questions are meant for a very specific reason, to wake them, shake off the spell to awaken them from the nightmare that is the belief that we have to make ourselves whole. Paul is grabbing them by the proverbial shoulders saying, remember who you already are. Remember when I came and when I preached Christ, I portrayed him to you as crucified. More literally, 
I graphically portrayed the crucified Christ with words to you in detail such that he was so vividly imagined that it was as if he was really there crucified in front of you. And as I was telling you that story, do you remember what happened inside of you? As I described the death of Jesus on that cross, as I described him lifted up before you, nails in his hands, bleeding, crowns on his head, when you looked at him with your mind's eye, you heard something. You heard, what was it? It was God's own voice saying, I did that for you. I put my son there so that you could be forgiven of all your sins. I gave you the spotless, perfectly whole sacrifice because you aren't, because you are incomplete, because you are lost and orphans without me. And Paul says, when you heard God's promise of forgiveness and life in the death of Jesus, what did you do? You just said, okay, God, I believe you. I trust you. That's it. That's all you did. And you felt the change inside of you. You knew that Jesus on the cross was good news for you. You trusted God, and it meant that you had the Holy Spirit inside of you. It meant that God was at work doing the miracle of believing that this could be good news right in your midst. And all of that happened simply because, okay, okay, I believe you, God. These people, Paul says, they told you that you could be a child of Abraham if you looked like the Jewish people, if you acted like the Jewish people. But here's why you don't need to because you already are children of Abraham. Do you know why? You don't actually know why, you experienced why. I described Jesus on the cross and you knew inside of yourself that it was for you and you took it on faith. Okay, I believe you, God. And my dear Galatians, that is exactly what Abraham did when God made a promise to him. Like father Abraham, like daughter and son. So Galatians is a, is a theological letter about the atoning death of Jesus, but it's addressed to people who struggle to know who they are, caught in the world as they are between one empire telling them they will never be enough, and a religious group of people that tells them, if you work hard enough, you could be a morally perfect person. To people struggling to know what a Christian looks like, trapped between those two worlds, Paul says, your fundamental identity, the very core of your being as a human person, is found in the fact that God says, you are forgiven. God has made it right between you. And what God says is right is right indeed, my friends. That is what defines you. And that is what shapes your life. Oh, my friends, the good news to us is that none of us is whole. The good news of the gospel is not that we can finally be whole in ourselves. The good news is that God in Christ has taken our incomplete, broken, empty lives and grafted them to what is whole. 
The gospel is not, now you can be your best self in the world. The gospel is that God has united you to the perfect and abundant best life of Jesus. The gospel is not that now God will find you whole and perfect one day, but that in Christ you are no longer a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You together are one person, whole, because you are holy in Christ. How do I know? Because you've been adopted into the family. Whenever we find ourselves bewitched under the spell of things that would take us away from Jesus, we have to see Christ portrayed as crucified again and again. It can't be something we just know. It's got to work its way into our imaginations until it becomes the most beautiful and captivating thing to us. For through it, we remember what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. We have become so accustomed to the idea of God's coming that we are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it, forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to people of our little earth and lays claim to us. God comes into the very midst of evil and death, and he judges evil in us and in the world, and by judging us, God cleanses and sanctifies us, comes to us with grace and love. God makes us happy as only children can be happy. Because God wants to be with us wherever we are. We are no longer alone. God is with us. We are no longer homeless. A bit of the eternal home has moved into us. <laughs> Belonging, wholeness, these are only found in Jesus Christ. And on Ascension Sunday, we remember that this is the exclamation point of the Gospels that Jesus has ascended to heaven. His work is complete, and his spirit indwells and seals us in eternity. We belong to God. In Christ, we are united to the one who is whole. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are the brightness of God's glory and the exact image of God's person, whom death could not conquer, nor the tomb imprison. As you have shared our frailty in human flesh, help us to share in your immortality in the Spirit. Let no shadow of the grave terrify us and no fear of darkness turn our hearts from you. Reveal yourself to us this day and all our days as the first and the last, the living one, our immortal Savior and the Lord, and grant us, having meditated on your word, your Spirit, so that we might follow its teaching so that it may work its way into our bones, so that through it we may find the light that shines more and more until the perfect day. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, having been spoken to by God, having been fed by God, it was only right and fitting that normally we would have a chance to respond to God. Normally, we would do this at this point by taking some of what God has entrusted to us and giving it as an offering. Because of COVID, we are not able to do that by passing baskets as we usually would. However, this act of faith and response is still something that we can do, and there are a couple ways that we can be giving together. One is by placing your offerings in the box uh, that you passed on the way in. Another is by giving online. Third is by dropping off checks to Sadie at the church office during the week. Um, friends, uh, having responded to God 
with a tangible act of trust, we now rise and let's respond by proclaiming our faith. These words come from uh, a uh, confession of faith in our church called Our World Belongs to God. Uh, let's say it together. Um, Jesus ascended in triumph, raising our humanity to the heavenly throne. Together we say, all authority, glory, and sovereign power are given to him. There he hears our prayers and pleads our cause before the Father. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In our world, where many journey alone, nameless in the bustling crowd, Satan and his evil forces seek whom they may scatter and isolate. But God, by his gracious choosing in Christ, gathers a new community, those who by God's gift put their trust in Christ. In a world estranged from God, where happiness and peace are offered in many names and millions face confusing choices, we witness to the one and to the only one in whose name salvation is found, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God reconciles the world to himself. Jesus Christ rules over all. To follow this Lord is to serve him wherever. Without fitting in, light in darkness, salt in a spoiling world. Friends, why do you stand up looking toward heaven? This Jesus who has come, this Jesus will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Friends, go and make disciples of all nations, says the Lord, for I am with you always to the end of time. Friends, may the grace of God freely given through Christ our Lord and sufficient for all our needs and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who testifies with our spirit that we are God's children guide and sustain us this day and forever. Amen. Let's sing.